Tonight's scripture reading will come from Romans chapter 4 and verse number 14. There Paul writes, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is to come of none effect. Please be seated. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm excited. Bible study challenge could be the biggest thing we've ever done here in Hot Springs. I mean, picture this. Come at the end of January of next year if we truly know God's Word. If we know God's Word and we can remember God's Word, it's going to transform us. I'm excited. Please join us for this Bible study challenge. Now, this is Bible Investigation, the class where you ask the questions and the Bible gives you the answers. Tonight, the question comes from a teenage boy in Mississippi. And, and I get excited when teenagers write me because generally I get all adults. But he writes me. Here is his question. Does God grade on a curve? A little background. His grandfather died, the only man that he really looked upon as a dad. His biological dad deserted his mom when he was just a baby. His grandfather died, and he was not a Christian. Now, his grandfather was a good man. I mean, he was a, he was a Rotarian. Uh, he was very involved in his community. Uh, just about any charity that you would name in that small town, he was involved in it. But he was not a Christian. So this young man... Ask the question, does God grade on a curve? Now, we take that question, and we as Christians, often without realizing it, we phrase it a little different. We go something like this. In other words, the better you are, the bigger the blessing. Is that true? Well, I'm going to answer the first question first, and then we're going to look at the second question second. So, the first question, does God grade on a curve? Well, first off, I need to define that a little bit, because there are some adults here who don't know what I'm talking about. Now, all the teenagers know what grading on a curve is all about. Grading on a curve is, uh, well, how about this? A teacher gives a test, and the highest score on that test is an 80, 80%. If she wants to grade on a curve, she makes that 80 into 100, because it was the top score. So she adds 20 points to everybody's test score. So in other words, she makes adjustments. She will adjust everybody's score. So if you scored a 50 and you failed the test, guess what? You now got a 70. You got a C. 
that's grading on a curve. You make adjustments to the grade. So when we ask the question, does God grade on a curve, we're saying, will He make adjustments to His rules? Will He make adjustments to His Bible? Could someone do enough good stuff, merit enough good stuff, good works, good deeds to merit heaven? Now, the American population, it seems, believes in that. Now, you've heard of George Gallup. George Gallup is famous for uh, conducting surveys. Well, in the religious world, it's George Barna. Now, two different surveys by Barna. First one, 80%, actually it was 79.7%, but 80% of Americans believe that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, they believe it's in the Bible. Guess what, friends? It's not in the Bible. That quote is not in the Bible. Furthermore, second survey from Barna, 57%, actually 57.2% of Americans believe that spiritual salvation is earned based on if a person is generally good. Generally good. Well, first off, I look at that statement and I see a big problem. Here's the big problem. How does one measure generally good when the standard is God Himself? How do you go about measuring that? It, it would be uh, impossible. Here's the truth. And I was kind when I was talking to this teenage son, this teenage boy. But I said, here's the truth, son. God does not grade on the curve. God does not grade on the curve. God grades on the cross. It's if we have obeyed Jesus, if we have obeyed the Lord, and if we are living faithfully to Him, that promise of heaven is ours. So it comes down really to two questions. Question one, have you obeyed Jesus? And question two, are you living faithfully to the Lord? Now, if you want to go to heaven on your own merit, if you want to go to heaven on your own merit, on your own steam, you're going to need to score a perfect hundred. And let me add this. That's a perfect hundred each day, every day for the rest of your life. And that is humanly impossible. What did James say? For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in just one point, fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Here's the principle. You mess up one time, you've messed up all the way. If you mess up one time, you have messed up all the way. We can't make it to heaven on our own ability, 
on her own good record. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, your right living, the way you live your life, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hold it, Jesus. In that culture, they thought the scribes and Pharisees were the very best. They thought that the scribes and Pharisees were the people who really knew God and, and had that uh, up-close and personal relationship with God. And Jesus, you're saying that they don't measure up? Furthermore, Jesus just blasts away the idea of merit salvation. Notice what he says, verse 21. You heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, oh no, angry? Well, I get angry occasionally. Now, I'm not going to murder anybody, but Jesus, you said, if I get angry... Verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Go over to verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, he steps it up. He steps up the requirements. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. How can I ever measure up if I'm just going to base it just on what I can do, on what I can accomplish? Because I'm human and, and I can't measure up. I realize that. No one is going to heaven based only on their goodness. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Billy, notice, I don't know, is that you or me on the end there? I, I'm not for sure, okay? But see, criminals, atheists, Christians, minister, all have sinned. Nobody is good enough. We don't measure up. In fact, let's look at this word sin a little bit. I think we need to have a little closer look at the word sin. The Greek word that is usually translated as sin, it means falling short or missing the mark. Like, you know, you go, you know, you pull back the arrow, bow and arrow, and you let fly and you miss the target. You've missed the mark. Now, Here's what is troubling. The Greek word doesn't mean that you're doing something that's horribly, dreadfully terrible things. It's not all of that. It's just to miss the mark. Maybe I can avoid doing all those horrible, terrible, unspoken things. Maybe I can avoid all of that but can I avoid missing the mark 
I can't. I can't measure up. I'm, I'm human. You see, God is perfect, and to, and to measure up to God, you would need to hit the center of the bullseye every time, every day, for the rest of your life. But get ready. We're almost ready to answer question number two. Before we do that, let's talk about a problem. The tyranny of performance orientation. The tyranny of performance orientation. Now remember, sin is just missing the mark. And friends, we do that even as Christians. We're not perfect. We don't measure up even as Christians. We fail as Christians from time to time. Now when we do, we feel awful about it. The guilt gets to us and we feel bad about it. And, and the devil, uh, the devil, he tries, uh, he tries to turn our awareness of our sins into a sense of personal failing, of guilt and condemnation. And we end up thinking, how could God ever love us again? So what do we do? Without realizing it, we try to merit God's love. We try to merit God's favor. It's that tyranny of performance orientation. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, notice what Paul says. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. I love God's law in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul felt that pressure. Paul felt that pressure of, you know, sin is there and, and I know I, I, I want to do good and sometimes I don't do good. And we end up feeling. We end up feeling that how other Christians view us is how God views us. And that scares us a little bit. You know, a little criticism, a little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise uh, uh, from people raises my spirit. A little success makes me excited, but then when I fail, I'm at rock bottom. Because I think people look down on me, and I end up thinking that's how God views me. The world says, yeah, I'll love you if, well, I'll love you if you're good looking. I'll love you if you're intelligent, if you're wealthy, if you're what I expect. But God says, I love you, my child, just the way you are. Here's what we've got to realize. It's utterly unconditional grace. 
We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. It's not something that God is forced to give us. God gives us grace because he loves us so much. Jesus did what was humanly impossible. He lived a perfect life so that we don't have to measure up on our own merits. Romans chapter 3. Go back to Romans chapter 3. But now, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's grace. When we obey His plan, it's grace. A hundred percent. Not 90%, not 80%, a hundred percent. Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus, Jesus didn't just redeem us from the curse of sin. He has liberated us from the curse of the curve. We don't have to worry about the curve. It's not performance orientation. It's not measuring up. It's grace. God's grace. But as, as it goes, unfortunately, as Christians, we're still not confident of our salvation. Even though John said in 1 John 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What? That you may know. Heart knowledge, head knowledge, both head and heart knowledge, that you may know that you have eternal life. We know what it says, but so often we really don't believe it. And we fall into that second question. Remember the second question? The question that the young man did not ask, but we as Christians often ask. The better we are, the bigger the blessing. Because see, what happens is this. We end up saying it's Jesus plus, and we fill in the blank. Well, I've got to obey Jesus. I've got to be a Christian. Plus, I've got to have uh, perfect attendance at worship services. It's Jesus plus, well, it's giving a, a certain percentage. You know, I, I make sure that I, I've given a certain percentage of my income. It's Jesus plus, well, uh, it's uh, the ministries that I lead. It's got to be those ministries. You know, God, God will love me. God will, uh, he will keep me. Uh, he will do that for me because, you know, I'm in all those ministries. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. Plain and simple. You, you see, this is not a, a new problem. In the New Testament time period, it was Jesus plus the Old Testament rite of circumcision. 
And they say, well, you know, it's great you're a Christian, it's Jesus, but you've got to also do the Old Testament right. You've got to combine that into it. If it's Jesus plus anything else, then what I have done is I have created a new gospel. And what did Paul say in Galatians chapter 1? The book of Galatians, one of the primary focuses of the book of Galatians is to counter this Jesus plus Old Testament rod of circumcision. So what does he say in chapter 1, verse 6? I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace, grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. If we say it's Jesus plus anything else, we are turning to a different gospel. Not there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. When we do this, we are distorting, we are distorting the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In fact, in the Greek, Paul gets pretty clear in that, okay? He's coming down hard. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's simply Jesus. It's simply Jesus. We must be on guard about adding to. If I add anything, I am watering down the work of the Lord on the cross. It's only Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said, chapter 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. No one needs to add to it. No one needs to change it, to alter it, to delete anything. It's just His Word. Pure and simple. We must be on guard against abusing God's grace. My hope... My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. How about you? Tonight, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Do you believe? Repent. Confess. Will you be baptized? That puts you into Christ. That's Jesus. That's His words. As a Christian, do you need to come back to Him to ask for forgiveness? He will forgive. 1 John 1, 9, the church stands ready to pray with you and for you. James 5, 16. Do you have any needs? If so, please come while we stand and sing for your encouragement. My hope is built on nothing less Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not